0: Welcome to the second episode of Wildlife Health Talks. We are taking you on a little visit to the conference of the Australasian section of the Wildlife Disease Association. We are at King Lake Adventure Camp in Victoria, surrounded by a lush rainforest and lots of wildlife, including the rare gang gang, a parrot that sounds like a creaking door. I'm your host Kat, I'm a vet, wildlife health researcher and science communicator, based at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. My guest today is Dr. Sarah Waltines. Sarah is a PhD candidate at the College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Florida, but is currently based in Sydney. Sarah studies the impact of changing ocean conditions on sea stars. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks for having me, Kat. Sarah, let's start with a few WDA questions. When did you join the WDA?
1: I believe it was around 2015, when I was a veterinary student at Ohio State University.
0: What do you like about the WDA?
1: I love that it's a community of like-minded people with wildlife health in mind. It connects us all, and it's interesting to hear all of the different backgrounds and research interests that
0: people have, and they're just a wonderful group of friendly people. Do you have a favorite memory linked to the WDA, like at a conference or workshop you want to share? I do.
1: We had just moved to Australia in 2018, and I received a scholarship from the WDA section to be able to attend the wildlife pathology short course at Taronga Zoo. And it was just a fantastic introduction to the amazing animals
0: in Australia and the even more amazing people who research them. Let's move on to your actual research. So um, you chose sea stars for your study. Why is that?
1: (laughs) I love animals that maybe are a little less charismatic. So I just love the opportunity to work with animals that we don't quite know so much about and when I was a veterinary student I had the opportunity to do a little work on sea star wasting and sea stars around 2013 started dying by the millions off the Pacific coast to the United States and I was at Seattle Aquarium during that time and we had a group of sea stars that were unfortunately going through wasting which is a suite of clinical signs where they have epidermal lesions, so their skin starts to, to have lesions, they lose their arms, and ultimately they end up dying. So we had a group of sea stars that were headed down this path and we started doing research to try to learn a little bit more about this pro- disease process um, as it was occurring.
0: So is this the name of the disease, sea star wasting? So
1: I guess disease is perhaps not the best word to use since we don't know exactly what causes it. So we call it c star wasting. Some people call it c star wasting syndrome, asteroid idiopathic wasting syndrome. There's a bunch of different names which makes it even more confusing, but essentially it's a suite of clinical signs right now. We're not able to find any kind of a pathogen or definitively link why this is occurring. We think it's due to changing ocean conditions and environmental stressors. Sea stars are amazing creatures and they have this tissue called mutable collagenase tissue. It's a connective tissue that's unique to echinoderms, and it's innervated by the nervous system. And it's able to change its tensile strength in a fraction of a second. It's this incredible tissue. And it's in their body wall, and it's involved in autotomy. And so you can see that there's a connection potentially between this tissue and the signs that we see associated with what we call wasting
0: in sea stars. Is that tissue that's involved in... Well, when the sea star is holding on to Exactly.
1: Exactly. So another name for it is catch connective tissue. And what they're able to do is essentially make it hard. So they're able to hold on to a wall, a rocky surface, and it allows them to not expend very much energy. So they have a very low oxygen consumption rate because they're able to kind of freeze in place and not need to use muscles.
0: That is pretty cool. For sure. They are. They're amazing. (laughs) You said that the sea stars back then were dying by the thousands. Um, the millions. By the millions, wow. Yes. What is their ecological role? Like, in what way would this be an issue if so many sea stars are gone all, all of a sudden?
1: And that's a great question, especially because here in Australia, there's a little bit more of a complex relationship with the sea stars, thinking specifically of the crown of thorns. And then here in Victoria, there's an invasive sea star, Asterius amarensis. The sea stars that I study, common sea stars, Asterius rubens, are the keystone species in the rocky intertidal zone, and they're found in the North Atlantic Ocean, actually both the east and west sides, so they're found along the coast of Europe, and then also along the coast of North America. And as the keystone species, they're very important in maintaining biodiversity. And they do this by eating mussels, mytilus species mussels. And that clears physical space, which allows other organisms to be able to come in and increase that biodiversity, which makes a more resilient and healthy ecosystem. On the Pacific coast, where we lost so many species, there's this gorgeous sunflower star, Pycnopodia helanthoides. They've got 24 arms. We're talking several kilograms of sea star. They're just these... Gorgeous animals and they're the tigers of the subtidal zone. And when we lost them, we actually saw a trophic cascade. So we saw huge ecological ramifications because they keep the urchin populations in check and sea urchins are another echinoderm, but they're herbivores. And they started mowing down huge, huge swaths of kelp for us, which decreases our complexity in that environment and really
0: changed that entire ecosystem. Are there any studies following up on the ecological consequences of the loss of those millions of sea stars? Yeah, there are some studies,
1: specifically looking at Pycnopodia Helanthoides so or sunflower stars, and then ochraceus, the ochre sea star, which is the cousin to Asterius rubens. They fill that similar ecological role on either coast of the United States. So, yeah, someone else took over
0: their role after they the one species died they're starting to come back
1: okay so we didn't really see another organism move into the role but rather the species are starting to rebound um, in those ecosystems
0: right and um, now you to your phd research um so what are these what are these already occurring ocean changing ocean conditions that you test on the sea stars
1: Yeah, we were interested in trying to answer how sea stars are going to respond to the changing ocean conditions since we do think environmental stressors are what potentially contribute to these increased severity and occurrence of sea star wasting events that we're seeing globally. So the specific stressors that we decided to focus on are ocean acidification, where the pH of the ocean decreases, hypoxia, which is a decreased oxygen in the water, and then increased temperature or ocean warming.
0: Remind me how come, I'm sure everyone is familiar with rising ocean temperatures, but why do we have less oxygen in the oceans due to climate change?
1: The reason we have less oxygen is there's a multitude, but a lot of it, especially in our coastal ecosystems where these sea stars are found, has to deal with eutrophication. So we're adding increased nutrients into the water of our coastal ecosystems, which results in an increased abundance of bacteria and other algae, and they consume oxygen.
0: And unfortunately, then it's not available for the other animals in our ecosystems. That makes a lot of sense. And um, so how did you test those changing conditions on the sea stars?
1: do you mean how did we create the conditions or what were we looking at in the response of the sea stars that's a good question both i guess (laughs) all right (laughs) Well, to simulate the ocean acidification, the reason ocean acidification is happening is because we have increased atmospheric carbon dioxide from some of our industrial processes. So the way you can simulate that in a laboratory environment is by bubbling carbon dioxide into the water. And there are a variety of control systems that you can use that monitor that water pH and and make sure that they're kind of dosing the water with carbon dioxide. For hypoxia, we bubbled nitrogen gas through these very fine pore special air stones that create little tiny bubbles, and that displaces the oxygen in the water. And then for temperature, that one's pretty easy. These were on a, a heat exchanger system, and we could just control it by
0: setting the control panel. Easy. And then, um, what did you? What changes? What changes did you look at in the sea stars? We looked at a
1: lot of changes, and specifically, we were using salomic fluid as our sample matrix. What we were kind of evaluating, and you can think of salomic fluid as analogous to vertebrate blood, so it bathes their internal organs. Sea stars don't have blood vessels and and veins and arteries, so it. it Base their internal organs and in different factors diffuse through it so you have nutrients in there you've got oxygen diffusion and respiratory gases so carbon dioxide from metabolism and you also have their immune system so salomocytes, the cell that circulate in that salomic fluid are the effector cell of the echinoderm immune system we can think of them kind of like a white blood cell in a vertebrate animal and then there's also different things like macromolecules, like our complement cascade and, and different cytokines and things that help prevent sea stars from getting infections from their environment. So by using salomic fluid, we're able to really get kind of a snapshot in time about their health, about all these different organ systems interacting in this fluid. And what's we're the able color? To,
0: Sorry, what's the color of that fluid? It's colorless and clear. Ah, oh, shame. I was hoping for some green or blue there.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. That would be exciting. <laughs> But it's a great way to non-lethally evaluate um, inekiniderm's immune system. So we did a variety of tests. We started with some of the routine veterinary diagnostics that people might have used in in other animal species, things like blood gas, and we did a point-of-care ISTAT analyzer. We also evaluated the electrolytes and osmolality, as well as the cell counts to see if there was any kind of a response in this immune cell. And then we got a little more technical with our our molecular diagnostics, and we did transcriptomics, which is looking at how the DNA is expressed into mRNA. Then we took it a step further and did proteomics, so how does that mRNA then become proteins that are circulating in the salomic fluid. And finally, we used a big NMR magnet to look at metabolomics, or the metabolites, so small molecules in the salomic fluid. And then as a final component, because of that special connective tissue, we took body wall biopsies and we did a very special kind of embedding called methyl methacrylate embedding and essentially you put your biopsy in plastic and that allows you to be able to analyze and to process your histologic samples without decalcification so by doing that sea stars have an endoskeleton their skeleton is within their body wall and we were able to evaluate it without decalcification which can interrupt the structural integrity of your sample we wanted to be able to see some of those changes and that actually was funded by a grant from the wildlife disease association wildlife veterinary section so thank you so much to them for giving us the opportunity to look at these responses in sea stars
0: that's awesome and what did you find to distill it
1: all, my, I'm in my fifth year of my PhD, so to distill the past four years down into a few, few moments, we found that sea stars aren't really able to cope and maintain their homeostasis when we are changing their environmental stress or, or changing the environment on, in their tank,
0: so they don't like it.
1: No, they don't like it. Um, and, and what we saw with the blood gases especially were that the salomic fluid pH, when we decreased the tank pH on the outside of the sea star, their salomic fluid pH also decreased, and so they didn't have any mechanisms to maintain that pH, and we know that's so important for how everything functions in your body system, things like proteins and your transporters and your membranes. So it's very important for our physiology to be maintained in a constant pH, and they weren't able to do that. And with the hypoxia group, so when we decreased that oxygen around them, and we did did do a big decrease down to about 20% of our oxygen saturation, and the sea stars also weren't able to compensate. So we saw less than half of of the partial pressure of oxygen. So the oxygen dissolved in their salomic fluid, decreased markedly when they were put in a tank that didn't have enough dissolved oxygen in it. And for the temperature, we saw that their metabolism increased, which we've seen in other species of sea stars, but they had increased carbon dioxide. So one of those products of our cellular respiration and our metabolism, which then also decreased the pH of their solomic fluid. So these sea stars are also facing a lot of physiologic challenges and that might help us understand a little bit about why we're seeing more of this sea star wasting and these sea star mortality events all across the globe we do have a lot more results pending Um, there will be definitely a few more manuscripts so please keep your eye out for that and we are planning to publish the biopsy results which we're still in the final stages of analyzing But we're planning to publish that in the Journal of Wildlife Diseases. So
0: hopefully that will be available soon and come across the radar of of your listeners. Awesome. It sounds all really cool and fascinating. But do you think that has like a practical application? Like, obviously, there are these changes changes happening and you're contributing to understand better what it does to sea stars and probably like a good part of the ecosystem the sea stars are part of how does it help us potentially prevent further damage or is there anything we can do to yeah to mitigate
1: ultimately it comes down to the hard answer which is we need to do more for our climate and we need to do better about reducing our emissions and about monitoring our coastal ecosystems and evaluating these impacts and of course We cannot undo what's been done, but we can slow our future. And so we need to be thinking ahead and reducing emissions and and everybody doing their part and industry doing their part to ensure that we don't lose these precious ecosystems and these amazing animals. And of course the other side of that is we don't know too much about the veterinary medicine of sea stars. So this does provide some diagnostic tools that a veterinarian can use if we have sea stars under human care, like at an aquarium or in a research
0: setting. Nice. And it also, your research, I guess, contributes, contributes to having sea stars as a ecosystem sentinel. So you can collect them at different locations and um, check out their parameters and see how the ecosystem is doing yeah yeah they're very important to the
1: ecosystem health so
0: and of course with the wide
1: distribution of our common sea stars you can see that they lend themselves very well to
0: to being used as a sentinel of the health of their ecosystems nice and it's very easy to collect them they don't run away so that's very handy
1: (laughs) well they can they actually move faster than you might think they do (laughs) seriously they don't typically run away from you but if you put them in a tank they do they do move around quite a bit
0: and um last question for today you since you've started working with sea stars you told me you have become quite engaged in welfare of invertebrates tell me a bit more about that why do you think that's important
1: when i was doing my literature reviews for my phd starting out just kind of looking at what work has been done in this space i noticed that there were a lot of things that were happening with sea stars i'll give a few examples um They were putting sea stars in boiling water and then collecting the juices that came out to see how it impacted other sea stars. Sea stars were vivisected or dissected alive. People were putting live sea stars into the ovens to see how their skeletal composition changed with ocean acidification. And they were being dropped from two meter tall ladders to get them to induce, yeah, to drop their arms. We call that arm autotomy. And what I realized. They drop their arms? Yeah, so a sea star can lose its arm, that famous sea star that regenerates. Oh, right. We call that That's arm cool. autotomy. And I realized that people weren't trying to be a jerk to sea stars, they weren't trying to cause suffering or harm to these animals they just weren't thinking about the potential impacts So you're, that, you're saying there weren't little sadists
0: those no researchers? Okay. no and,
1: I, and I'm definitely not here to shame anybody but <laughs> I realized that there really was an opportunity to have this conversation and there are some very practical things that we can do to improve the welfare of animals that are in our care especially when we start thinking about invertebrates which might not be at the forefront of our brains and honestly we don't have a lot of information I can't tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that a sea star feels pain or that they have the capacity to suffer. But in the meantime, I don't have evidence that they can't feel pain or that they can't suffer. So we can do things like using anesthesia or euthanasia techniques when we need to do more invasive sampling, just following the precautionary principle to try not to cause any harm if we can avoid it.
0: That sounds pretty good to me. And I think the sea stars are very lucky to have you as their advocate. Well, we're lucky to have them in our world. And
1: and I hope we're able to make some positive changes, both how we treat them in human care when we have them with invertebrate welfare and thinking also about the health and welfare of our free-ranging animals.
0: (laughs) That's great. I will definitely um, view the sea stars a little differently now. Thanks so much, Sarah, for being my guest. Thanks for having me thanks for listening to wildlife health talks we will be back with a new story next time bye for now